Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Women's Hoops podcast. I'm your host, Noreen Doherty, and we are in the last full week of January. It's crazy to think, but it's exciting because it just means we're one month closer to March. I feel like the last week we haven't had too many crazy upsets like we have in the previous week. Still some, but not as much. But there has been a lot of news. So let's start with the AP poll. For the first time in the 47-year history, the AP Top 25 has no teams from Texas. Last week, Texas was at number 25, but they fell out this week. They lost at Texas Tech before beating Baylor on the road. So, I don't know. They've just had a weird season. I mean, they started out without Rory Harmon, and they were, what, ranked like number three at the beginning of the season in the preseason poll? And now they're not ranked. And same with Baylor. I don't know. It's just a weird season for the both of them. We'll see what happens in this, what, final month or so of regular season play. But yeah, I just thought that was a crazy little note there. 47 years and there has always been a team from Texas in the AP Top 25. And this is the first time. That's that's just crazy to me. But an exciting part for the AP poll is that Florida State comes in this week at number 24. Like I said last week, they had beaten number 11 NC State 91-72. to Huge win, huge loss for NC State. They went on to lose against Louisville, but then they beat both UVA and Pitt. They beat Pitt 74-37. to I don't know if either of those wins are really what put them into the top 25. I mean, Virginia has obviously been pretty decent this year but Pitt I mean if they're winning 74 to 37 I don't know I don't know how that puts them into the top 25 but I'm not saying that they shouldn't be in the top 25 I think Florida State's a really good team I think they deserve to be in the top 25 they're going to play at number seven Notre Dame this Thursday January 26th so I think that'll be that'll be a great matchup also last week I was talking about I mean, I feel like for the last couple weeks, I've been talking about wanting Miami in the top 25. This week, they're not even receiving votes. They lost at number 20, NC State, which I thought had they won that game, that would have put them in the top 25, but they lost and NC State stays at number 20 this week. So unfortunate for Miami, but we'll see what happens. Now, Tennessee is back on the bubble of breaking into the top 25. They're on a nine game win streak and they're 8-0 in SEC play. This Thursday is the much-anticipated Tennessee-UConn game. So, UConn's ranked number five. Tennessee's not ranked, but top team receiving votes right there on the bubble. So, I would love to see Tennessee win. It's in Knoxville. I mean, I would always love to see Tennessee beat UConn. Tennessee, I will always be rooting for Tennessee especially when they're playing UConn. So hopefully they beat UConn and they can break back in to the top 25. And then speaking of UConn, AZ, as I said last week, she got hurt against Georgetown. She re-injured that knee. And on January 20th, ESPN put out an article about AZ's injury. And Gino said that there will be no surgery involved and they will see how she feels following two weeks of not bearing any weight on that knee. So obviously that means she's not going to be playing this Thursday against Tennessee. So that may give Tennessee a leg up in this game. I don't know. I mean, UConn's still been solid 
Lou Lopez Seneschal has been amazing. Dorky Uhas has been amazing since she came back. Nika Mule's been amazing. Aaliyah Edwards has been phenomenal. I don't know. I really don't know what'll happen. I would, like I said, I want to see Tennessee win, but UConn has been very good despite all their injuries. I wish we could see UConn at full strength this season. I think if they had Paige Beckers, they would be they would be one of the undefeated teams right now. Now there's a couple more players that I need to talk about that had a pretty exciting week this past week. First, Angel Reese. She had 14 points and 14 rebounds in LSU's 89 to 51 win over Alabama. She now has 20 straight double doubles breaking Sylvia Fowles' record for most consecutive double-doubles at LSU. That's huge. And I saw LSU put out a tweet. It was a video of Sylvia Fowles basically passing on the crown to Angel Reese. So I thought that that was a really cool piece of content that LSU put out and definitely cool as a player for Angel Reese to to get that notion from an LSU and WNBA great. Also, I don't know if you saw it. If not, you need to pause this podcast right now and go watch the video of Angel Reese's block when she had one shoe on. It was insane. So when LSU played Arkansas the other night, Angel Reese was in the paint. Somehow one of her shoes came off. I didn't see that part. But the clip that's all over the internet is her standing there holding one shoe. She was like about to try and put it back on. But then one of the Arkansas players drove into the lane and she just stopped and blocked the hell out of this player. And she's standing there, looks down at the player who's on the ground and says something. I don't know what. But she ended up getting a technical because she was talking trash, which I mean... I guess it depends on what she were to say, like if she was cussing at the player, like different story, but if she's just like, just saying something like, not in my house, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's different and I don't think that needs to be teed up. But after the game, Angel, she tweeted, I'm too hood. I'm too ghetto. I don't fit the narrative and I'm okay with that. I'm from Baltimore where you hoop outside and talk trash. If it was a boy, y'all wouldn't be saying none at all. Let's normalize women showing passion for the game instead of it being embarrassing. And I completely agree with that. Like, if in a, in a men's game, they would have let that go. It's just so normal for the men to talk trash to each other and just, you know, basically heckle each other throughout the game. But if women do it, it's like automatically teed up. And I think it's ridiculous. I think, like I said, had she been swearing at the player, different story. But if she's just saying, like, nope, not today, you know? Like, it's just so different. Like, just let them play. I don't think that needed to be teed up. So, anyways, I just, like I said, if you hadn't seen that play, you need to go watch it because it was amazing. I I loved it. I just loved holding the shoe in one hand and then she just blocks the shit out of this girl. It was incredible. Now, we have to go on to Maddie Segrist from Villanova. On Friday, she scored 23 points at Creighton to become Villanova's all-time leading scorer. She is now two points away from becoming the all-time leading scorer in Philadelphia Big Five women's basketball history. And she's still the country's leading scorer with 28.5 points per game. If she's not in the conversation for National Player of the Year, then I think that's ridiculous. I think she deserves to win a plethora of awards at the end of this season, regardless of how Villanova finishes. I know there's so many good players this year that deserve all the awards, but 
I just hope Maddie Segrist gets a handful because she's just been phenomenal and I feel like I've kind of seen her throughout her career like grow because I was at Temple when she first started playing and then when I was at JMU we played her and now just watching her this season and it's just it's crazy to see how far she's come. I mean, she was phenomenal as a freshman and then to see it now and she's the all-time leading scorer at Villanova, like she is Villanova women's basketball. Like when people look at the history of Villanova women's basketball from now on, it is Maddie Segrist. And I just think that's so cool. And then also making some school history is Aaliyah Boston. She had 13 points and 14 rebounds in a 92-46 win over Arkansas making her total career double-doubles 73, which is the most in South Carolina history. As I've said before, she hasn't been getting a bunch of minutes this season because South Carolina continues to blow people out, but she's still putting up the numbers, she's still doing her thing, and she continues to write herself into South Carolina's record books. And then some unfortunate news coming out of Notre Dame. On Sunday, Dara Mabry tore her ACL against UVA ending her career at Notre Dame. It's just heartbreaking to see a player go out like that, especially in their final season. You want them to be able to play to the end, play in the tournament, and especially for Dara Mabry, with her two older sisters playing there, her oldest sister, Michaela, who's one of the assistant coaches at Notre Dame right now, she did not win a national championship when at Notre Dame, but when she was there, They advanced to the final four three times and they had two title game appearances and then Marina won a national championship. So for Dara to not have that opportunity because of a torn ACL, that just sucks and I feel for her and I wish her the best in her recovery and I'm curious to see what happens next for her if she goes and plays overseas, if she somehow ends up in the WNBA like Marina or if she ends up coaching somewhere like Michaela. So best of luck to Dara in whatever the future holds for her. And then a quick bit of news coming out of Vanderbilt. They hired Katie Lou Samuelson as their director of player development. Of course, Vanderbilt's head coach, Shay Ralph, was on Gino's staff for 13 seasons before taking the Vanderbilt job. So she was at UConn when Katie Lou played there, knows her well, coached her, and to give her this opportunity at Vanderbilt, I think it's it's really good for Vanderbilt because they're having kind of a rough season and I'm hoping Katie Lou can, I don't know, bring some spark there and start making Vanderbilt a more successful program in the SEC and maybe becoming more competitive at the national level. Okay, there were a couple of exciting games this past week. First, an in-state rivalry with Oregon State beating number 23, Oregon, 68-65 at home. Talia von Olhoffen led the Beavers with 16 points, while Tamia Gardner had 15 points on 7 of 10 shooting. She earned Pac-12 Freshman of the Week honors after this performance. Also, Oregon State's starting five were dishing out assists like it was their job. They The starting five combined for 19 of Oregon State's 21 assists in this game. So I thought that was a cool little stat there. On the other hand, Oregon had their worst field goal percentage of the season, shooting 34.3% from the floor, when they averaged 45.1. So I think that was kind of the killer for them in this game. Oregon's no longer ranked. This was their second straight loss to an unranked team after falling to Washington State the previous Sunday. 
I feel like Oregon just hasn't had it since Sabrina left. Which, speaking of Sabrina Ionescu, she got engaged over the weekend, so congratulations to her. But seriously, I think after that year when Sabrina graduated, Oregon just has not been the same. And I think it's just hard to recover after losing a player like that, like the player that has put the program on the map. And she was that for Oregon. And I think it's just hard to to rebuild after that. And especially also with Oregon, they had a bunch of people transfer. So I don't know what's going on there, but I don't know. This This is definitely not their season. They're just struggling. And I was honestly shocked when that they have been in the top 25 for as long as they have this season. So they're still receiving some votes, but not too many. I don't know. We'll see what happens over the next month, but I don't think I don't think we'll see anything crazy out of Oregon for the rest of the year. And then we had another in-state rivalry, one of the bigger rivalries in college athletics as a whole. Number 17 UNC beat number 13 Duke on the road 61 to 56. Now this week Duke is ranked 16, North Carolina is ranked 15. For North Carolina, Deja Kelly led the way with 19 points, followed by Alyssa Usby with 16, and Kennedy Todd Williams with 13. Duke's Cheyenne Day-Wilson led all scorers with 24 points. So Duke shot just 33.3% from the floor. They had the same percentage for their three-point percentage. And then UNC, they shot just 20% from three-point range, but... They shot just under 50% from the floor, ending the day with a field goal percentage of 48.9. So they had a pretty good shooting day. Duke kind of dug themselves a hole early on, scoring just five points in the first quarter while North Carolina scored 12. Duke clawed their way back in the second to tie it up at 21, but then North Carolina outscored Duke 19 to 10 in the third quarter. The Tar Heels shot 9 for 10 from the floor in the third quarter, so 90%. And then in the fourth quarter, Duke outscored North Carolina 25 to 21, but their deficit was just too much to come back from, and UNC walked away with the win, 61 to 56. The day after the game, Deja Kelly tweeted, So I'm curious as to why the bell tower wasn't lit last night, question mark, question mark. We only do it for men's teams or what? We won, dot, 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 and we beat Duke, all caps. So what's up? And she tagged at UNC, at UNC's athletic Twitter, and then replied to her own tweet tagging Bell Tower UNC. So I didn't know that was a thing at UNC to light up the Bell Tower when UNC wins games. And I do think it's crazy that they did not light up the Bell Tower with the woman beating Duke, especially when Duke was ranked higher than UNC. At this point, it's just annoying that women are not getting treated the same as men. I mean, it's 2023. I feel like the past few years, there's been such an emphasis on women's sports and equality in women's sports. And when shit like this happens, it's it's literally just annoying. Like, have you not learned over the past few years? Like, I don't know. So hopefully UNC does better and lights up the bell tower when the women's basketball team wins, especially when they play Duke. UNC will play Duke again at home on February 26th, so if North Carolina wins that game, I'm hoping UNC lights up that bell tower, and I will definitely be checking in on that. And then last night, Monday night, 
As you know, I record on Tuesdays. If you hadn't picked up on that yet, I record on Tuesdays during my daughter's nap. (laughs) So last night, number 10 Iowa handed number two Ohio State their first loss of the season. Iowa won 83 to 72. My husband and I were at the gym when this game was going on. So of course I had to pick the treadmill that was facing right at the TV playing this game. And in the third quarter, I saw Iowa was up by like probably 10 points or whatever. And Ohio State got within like probably six points or something. And I'm like, oh, Ohio State will come back. They've had a bunch of these games where they're trailing by law and somehow come out on top at the very end. But no, they did not. And I was shocked. A huge part of that is because Caitlin Clark had a triple-double. She had 28 points, 10 rebounds, and a season-high 15 assists. When I saw the 15 assists, I was like, wow, that has to be a career high for her. Nope. Last year, she had 18 assists. But I mean, still a phenomenal stat line and a phenomenal performance by Caitlin Clark. Also having great performances for Iowa was Monica Cisnano with 22 points. And Kate Martin had a double-double with 13 points and 11 rebounds. I think Kate Martin is a very underrated player. I love watching her play. I think she has a lot of energy. And I think more people need to be paying attention to what Kate Martin is doing. For Ohio State, Taylor Mikesell, she shot just 5 for 16 from the floor, 2 for 10 from 3. So she finished with 12 points when she averages 18.2. So that was definitely hurtful for Ohio State. Cody McMahon and Taylor Theory combined for 41 points and 17 rebounds. So they led the Buckeyes in this game. And then something I didn't realize, Ohio State has been without J.C. Sheldon since November 30th. She had a lower leg injury at Louisville. I think the reason I didn't know this is because Ohio State continued to win games and they were undefeated, so you didn't know anything was wrong or they were missing anybody. But when I was looking at the box score, I was like, where's JC Sheldon? Like, why why don't I see her with a bunch of steals or a bunch of assists, you know? But I read one report somewhere that she should be coming back soon. So I know the coach made a comment that they wanted to make sure she was fully healed and they didn't want to rush back because they want to have her down the stretch, which totally makes sense. I would definitely save her as long as I could make sure she was healthy for the tournament. So, I mean... One loss is not going to kill Ohio State. We knew one of these undefeated teams was going to fall eventually. So Ohio State is the first to fall. And now the only two undefeated teams remaining, LSU and South Carolina, which again, they will meet on February 12th. And I cannot wait for that game. And speaking of that, I was just thinking about this earlier. Who's going to be named the SEC Player of the Year? Aaliyah Boston or Angel Reese? That's such a tough decision, and I don't know. I think making them, like, co-player of the year is just... I don't think that's cool. I think one of them needs to be named it, but how do you choose in that situation? They're both phenomenal. I don't know. I'm getting way, way too ahead of myself, but it was just something that popped in my mind and I wanted to put out there because I'm curious what will happen with that. Okay, let's jump into the weekly honors. This week's player of the week is Angel Reese. She's had 20 straight double-doubles. She's averaging a double-double, obviously. And the whole one-shoe block, I I just love it. I I love everything Angel Reese is doing this season. I know I've said it a bunch, but 
with her setting that record, breaking Sylvia Fowles' previous record, I just had to give her player of the week. It was between her and Aaliyah Boston. Like I said, when people have to vote for those the SEC player of the year, that's going to be a tough decision. Just this player of the week was tough for me, but I have to go with Angel Reese. Team of the week is Iowa for handing Ohio State their first loss of the season. I feel like Iowa has kind of struggled in parts of this season, so for them to get that huge win is really exciting, and I'm curious to see how they hold up down the stretch. Game of the week is number 17, North Carolina, beating number 13, Duke. Have to go with that one because of the in-state rivalry, because of how big that rivalry is, and it's an upset. So props to UNC. They better light up that bell tower when they beat Duke again. Now, mid-major team of the week. This one's huge, okay? Iona. They broke two NCAA records in their 90-62 win over Ryder. They set the single-game records for consecutive three-point field goals made with 15 and three-point field goal percentage of 88.9%. They went 16 for 18 beyond the arc. That's amazing. Iona currently ranks fifth in the country in three-point percentage at 39.9%. So I'll be keeping an eye on them to see if they move up. Right now, Gonzaga is the number one three-point percentage team with 41.2%. They're actually tied with BU. So definitely watching Iona to see if they move up in that. I mean, to shoot 15 consecutive threes and almost 90% from three-point range... That's incredible, and I hope they continue this trend. We have a bunch of games to keep an eye on this week, especially this Thursday. Number five, UConn at Tennessee. Like I said earlier in the episode, Tennessee is right on the bubble of the AP Top 25. UConn is still without AZ. I think this game is always so exciting because of that rivalry. So it's just going to be another amazing game and I can't wait to watch it. Also going on that night, we have number 24 Florida State at number seven Notre Dame. Obviously Notre Dame is without their point guard, Dare Mabry. So we'll see how they shift with that loss. Then we have number 13 Michigan at number 10 Maryland. Then number 12, Virginia Tech at number 16, Duke. And number two, Ohio State at number six, Indiana. It'll be interesting to see how Ohio State responds to their first loss of the season. Not much going on on Friday or Saturday, but Friday we do have number eight, UCLA at number 25, Colorado. Saturday we have number 14, Oklahoma at number 18, Iowa State. And then on Sunday, we have number 21, Villanova, at number 5, UConn. Number 8, UCLA, at number 9, Utah. That should be a fun one. Number 16, Duke, at number 24, Florida State. And number 7, Notre Dame, at number 20, NC State. I'm excited to watch games on Sunday this week because now that the NFL regular season is over, my husband isn't taking over two TVs in the living room anymore so I could put on some women's college basketball. All right, everyone, that is it for this week's episode. Make sure you check in on those games this week, especially Thursday night, UConn, Tennessee. I cannot, cannot wait for that game.
As always, be sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Music or Spotify. Leave a five-star rating. Follow on social media at Women's Hoops Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. My social is at N0R Doherty, D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y on Twitter and Instagram. I hope everyone is enjoying this season and getting ready for our final month of regular season basketball. It's almost tournament time. It is almost here. So buckle up, everybody, because I know this last month is going to be exciting. Until next week, bye, y'all.